Welcome, you. Richard Morgan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before I start, can I just explain, this is my first ever visit to the United States of America. And uh, it was many years ago that I realized that the fact that you speak English and I speak English doesn't necessarily mean that we understand each other. <laughs> Somebody has said that the American people and the British people are two peoples separated by a common language. So if I ever I use an expression which offends you, it's an error. <laughs> That's what I tell all the girls. If ever, I, if ever I use an expression which you don't understand, please do not hesitate to just shut up, because otherwise you're going to break my flow, and that embarrasses me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, I got in here yesterday, and I thought well, I can speak English, and I've learned American words like "hi." And I went into a shop and I bought something, and the lady said to me, "Have a good one." I felt like saying to her, I haven't got one. <laughs> but I suspected that if I, that if I did that, she might, have been, uh, she might have been embarrassed and offended. But I'm really, really happy to be in the United States of America for the first time at the age of 64. And I've been a Christian for three years. Okay? So please bear that in mind. Anything that I say that is right is because I'm a Christian. And everything that I said is wrong is because I'm a young Christian. And that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, this, um, what I'm going to say to you is just my personal story. It is a personal experience. I have no proofs. I don't have a PowerPoint presentation. I don't have black and white here and black and white there. I have no proofs. It is my own lived experience. There are certain things which obviously cannot be transmitted. Now the little boy who was in his Sunday school class and the Sunday school teacher said, now I want you all to do a drawing that represents something from the Easter story. And she sees a little boy who's scribbling away, scribbling away over his sheet of paper. And she says to him, well, what, are you, what are you drawing? And he says, I'm drawing God. And his teacher says to him, well, nobody knows what God looks like. They will when i finished. <laughs> I don't have any drawings to show you. To show you, but before I start, there is a certain character called Richard Dawkins who is central to my story. Can I just have an? Can I just have a show of hands? Anybody who doesn't know who Richard Dawkins is, and I'll explain to you. Okay, Richard Dawkins was initially a, a, a great biologist. Of that there is no doubt. He wrote one of the most important books on the structure of the gene. This was many years ago, 1978, thereabouts, and the book was called The Selfish Gene. That title has been thrown back at him many times since, and he often points out that he had a choice between calling it the selfish gene or the cooperative gene, because both images would have worked equally well. Anyway, his initial role in life was as a scientist and a biologist, and he published book after book, and as he published an increasing number of books, it became evident to all those who were reading them that he had a thing against God. Just a little mention here, a little mention there. And in fact, it was one of his books called The Blind Watchmaker, which represented a turning point in my life. Let me just give you a bit of my, my history. 
Uh, I was born and bred, <laughs> in spite of appearances, I was bred, um, in North Wales in the United Kingdom, and I had what you call a nominal Christian education. That means, where I come from, that means that in order to have a bit of peace on Sunday, your parents sent you to Sunday school. And they weren't particularly happy to see you when you came back. And that was about it. And, really? Wow, must have been a bit of a horizontal tr gene transfer then. <laughs> Across the Atlantic. The lazy gene transferred all around the world and as soon as life got easy. Eve has got a lot to answer for, I agree with you. <laughs> and I was 15 when some Mormon missionaries came and knocked on my door. In fact, I was out that morning and my mother said, I'm too old to change, come back when Richard is home. And a short while later, I became a Mormon. I don't know if you've heard about the Mormon church. I think there's some slightly American origins, but I know it's not your fault. <laughs> it was very, very interesting because to know the truth in Mormonism, you have to pray and God will reveal the truth to you by a burning sensation in your bosom. Now then, the missionaries told me that I wasn't praying hard enough. And one night, I think I had rather too much chili con carne. <laughs> and, and I got the burning sensation. And so I probably became a mormon for ten years on account of eating, eating too much chili con carne. <laughs> anyway, that lasted a certain time. I was even a mormon missionary in France, you know. Uh, my faith in mormonism started to diminish whilst I was a missionary. And then shortly afterwards, my faith just disappeared altogether. Now then, I think my experience young is very similar to the experience of many people. I thought I was looking for God. It's not true. I was looking for social acceptance. That is how sects and cults thrive, by making people feel accepted. Whenever I went somewhere, if I felt accepted, I felt sure that the truth could be there. Just a word of warning, in case you're still looking, it isn't. <laughs> and uh, then I started looking into all this, you know, you can see how old I am. I mean, I was young at the time of the, of the hippie phenomenon, you know, peace and love, uh, the new age woo-woo theories, uh, everything's in the numbers, or, you know, spiritual revelation depends largely not upon who you follow, but what you smoke. And that's what a lot of people believed in those, in those days. I went through a bit of that, but not much. And then one day, my sister, who was a professor of economics at Cambridge University, gave me a book called The Blind Watchmaker by Richard Dawkins. Now then, in order to understand the title, you need to know who the watchmaker is referring to. An 18th century theologian, William Paley, said, if you're walking along the beach and you see rocks just scattered anyhow, you don't say to yourself, somebody has deliberately put those rocks in that position. But if you're on one of those rocks, you see a watch, you don't say those bits of metal have just come together accidentally. Because you can take a watch apart and you can determine that it has been designed. And so for him, the human body, life, was obviously designed, therefore obviously God exists. Now what Richard Dawkins did was through the processes of evolution, he showed that that's just not true. These things which look as if they're designed are just the result of evolution, random mutation, natural selection, it all just 
happens. Isn't that obvious? Yes, we all said. And he even invented a word for those things which look as if they're designed. He said they're called designoid. You know, I look at my hand, and that's not been designed. It just, it just sort of happened, you know. And I wish it would stop happening sometimes, actually. I look at my beautiful face, I think, you know, such beauty just couldn't have happened, but apparently it did. <laughs> that's not nice, you don't believe me, do you? Okay, well, I'll just carry on with my story. Anyway, he explained with very, very good uh, uh, scientific justification that, you know, that life is not designed, it just happened, and as Perry has explained, random mutation plus natural selection equals evolution equals life. What started off as a blob in the primeval soup eventually became snakes and birds <laughs> and Walmart and Perry and me. <coughs> that primeval soup has got a lot to answer for, hasn't it? And, sorry? Did you say Walmart? No. No, no, no. You're imagining things there. <laughs> Cultural differences. Okay, I didn't say Walmart. I love Walmart. What is it? I don't know. I don't even know what you eat it with. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just my nature. I, I, because it's basically, I'm so excited about what I'm going to tell you. The thing is, what Perry told you is because, you know, he wanted to get you all hyped up to listen to me. It's not really true. I became an atheist. I didn't decide, aha, I got the proof that God doesn't exist, I have the proof. No. I thought, how obvious. All this frustration in looking for God was bound to happen because I was looking for something which didn't exist. So my first atheist word was, Hallelujah! If you understand what I mean, that's all over. And so I became a very relaxed atheist. I thought, okay, put that all aside. You also need to know that at the time I was living in France. Now, France is a country where religion really is not an issue. Nobody has heard of Richard Dawkins in France because they couldn't care less. The evolution creation debate doesn't exist. Uh, one point uh, for many years, for many centuries in history, France was known as the favorite daughter of the Catholic Church because it's an extremely Catholic country. Then we had the French Revolution. Then at the beginning of the 20th century, a very important law separating the church uh, and, and the state. And France has become an extremely secular country where literally religion isn't an issue. I'm going to give you an official statistic which is from 2007. When there was a survey about people's beliefs in France, 51% of French people claimed to be Catholic. Half of the, that 51% said they didn't believe in God. And for French people, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a contradiction. To be Catholic is a sign of, you know, a condition. It's where you get baptized, you get married, uh, something to, to, get, to get buried with. But... You know, don't, don't bother me with God. Nobody talks about religion. Can you imagine that? If you, say, if you go and say, if you go to a dinner party and you say, I believe in God, people will look at you and sort of, <coughs> you know, nobody will criticize you. We'll just sort of wait for the moment to pass so we can get on with talking about serious things, you know, like the next elections or, or going on strike or 
some good quality wine that you bought. Religion was not an issue. So I can't say I was a raving atheist. I had nothing to rave about. Nobody would listen to me. And I really didn't mind. However, I will admit that I was very, very, very excited in discovering about evolution because it does explain, seem to explain, such a lot of things. Or so it seems. And so in 2006, when I discovered that Richard Dawkins had opened a website the richarddawkins.net, in inverted com uh, commas, an oasis of clear thinking, I thought, ah, at last, I'm going to be able to discuss these ideas. Just in, as a parenthesis, I started having health problems at this time, which meant uh, that I was home a lot of the time, and I had plenty of time on my hands. It's quite funny, because when I said something about, which somebody did not agree with, they write back, get yourself a life. Haven't you got anything better to do with your life? I'd reply, well, no, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just enjoying myself here. And I really, it, this was my first ever experience of an internet forum. If you have never participate, participated in an internet forum, you have not known the dark side of life. <laughs> it was my son who explained to me the formula, which I can't repeat because we're in the church and it ends with a very rude word. But the formula is anonymity, you're anonymous, plus the internet, plus you have an audience, equals somebody not very nice. And it's a rude word that finishes with head. And nowhere is this truer than in the debates concerning religion. I went onto this site, I signed up, and I thought, I'm going to discover all these discussions and participate and, and say clever sounding things. And I just came across page and page of abuse, vile language, insults. I thought, now hang on a sec, we have got a problem here. Why is this? How can this be the case? And I tried to sort of add things to the discussion. Yeah, there were very, very clever people, very intelligent people, brilliant people who did post on these sites. I'm sad to say they were in a minority. And if you follow the history of what's happened to Richard Dawkins' site, if you know about the scandal that struck his site last year, and I'm at the or origin of it, if you know about how his site imploded before getting changed, you will know that all this filth and hate and bile which was directed against Christians due to an unfortunate set of circumstances, got directed against Richard Dawkins. And strangely... Flesh this out, because most, most people don't know this ever happened. Flesh this out? Yeah. Am I allowed to say words like flesh? <laughs> I'm so, sorry, cultural differences. I'm just trying to understand, you know. I didn't know I was allowed to say flesh. Yeah, well... I mean, I, I mean fetish this out. That's, that's what You mean... Fetish. You, you need to fetish this out. That's what you mean. Is he for real? <laughs> so I'll explain that to you later because that, that's perhaps important. Because what happened before that is even more important, let's face it. And so every day I would get up and I would open the site and I'd go into the discussions to see if anybody replied to me, see if anybody got any new ideas. And there were some very interesting things being said, some extremely interesting things being said. Then one day, somebody put on the site a link to a book called the Dawkins Letters. Not this edition, this is the second edition. 
when it has me in it. Just the first edition. There's a, a Scottish Presbyterian pastor called David Robertson. He read uh, Richard Dawkins' earth-trembling book, The God Delusion. And on his own church site, he wrote a response to the first chapter, which had such a positive response, he decided to write a response to every chapter in The God Delusion, which got published, the Dawkins letters, and somebody put a link, somebody mentioned this book on the Richard Dawkins site. And that's where it all started happening. The thing is that if you're a real card-carrying Richard Dawkins atheist, you don't read Christian books. You've heard about them, you've got an idea what's in them, but you're not going to spend money on them, are you? You're not going to encourage this folly of religious belief by spending hard cash. And so a member of the site, um, Pamela Kirby, she took upon herself the responsibility to read the book and to give a kind of summary of the book so we could all insult it without having to read it. And she spent a lot of time and she gave a long summary of the book and so, of course, we, we all started insulting it. The others more than me, okay, because I'm not really an, an insulting kind of person, you know. When you've got a face like mine, you can't go around insulting people. <laughs> and uh, one day, somebody posted a response and the pseudonym was The Wee Flea. Now, the wee flea, in fact, was a pseudo of David Robertson himself. He had come into the discussion to defend what was being said about his book. thought, brave man. And he was criticized and criticized point by point, and he kept coming back and he kept coming back. He said that even sometimes he would get up two hours earlier in the morning to give full responses to the criticisms of all that he'd, of all that he'd said. And what was astonishing was that he was really persistent, he was really polite, he hardly ever insulted anybody, obviously insulted a bit, I mean he's Scottish, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> you don't get born Scottish and never insult anybody, do you? <laughs> Particularly an Englishman. <laughs> but he insulted people with, with, with considerable grace and forgiveness. And... Uh, and of course that just added fuel to the fire, the discussions got more and more heated, the insults got more and more violent. In fact there was a very, very bad moment when somebody jokingly suggested that he could perhaps be assassinated the next time he went to Ireland. That was a really bad taste joke and that almost got the discussion shut down. And then somebody said, and of course everybody knows that David Robertson is a liar. Now bear in mind I read 50, 60 pages of comments from all the members of the Richard Dawkins site and David Robertson's response and I hadn't seen any trace of a lie but somebody said everybody knows David Robertson is a liar so I made the mistake of posting could somebody please point out to me where David Robertson has told a lie and of course I got all these all these loving tender responses <laughs> get yourself a life Get over yourself, you dummy you. Can't you read? Sorry? Don't have a good one. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I think I've started a movement. <laughs> this is definitely going to be a movement. Um, and then one day, 
somebody posted a piece of information on the site. You probably don't remember. It was in 2007. It was in, it was in the news. Some Russian prophet who was completely crazy who'd isolated a, gr- a group of followers in a cave because he knew that the world was going to come to an end at a certain date. The world apparently didn't come to an end at that date and he tried to kill himself by hitting himself over the head with a piece of wood. And I thought, you know, it's a grotesque kind of thing to do. But of course all these atheists thought this was hilarious and two of them said, what a pity he didn't finish the job. I thought, now that is going too far. To wish somebody dead, you know, that is going beyond a joke. And I said so. And one of the most brilliant members of the site quoted my post and just added after it, L-O-L. Because I want to defend some kind of principle regarding the sacredness of human life, laughing out loud, what a joke. It was at that point that I thought perhaps it was not the kind of place that I wanted to be. I need, in all honesty, to add a piece of information which I have never added in my story before. This will be the first time. Many have guessed it. This is the first time that I say it publicly. When I was a Mormon, obviously I'd read the Bible a lot. I'd learned off by heart lots of verses from the Bible. So somewhere in my unconscious mind I, have, I had bits of Bible floating around. That was like, you know, 30 years beforehand. And I kept on reading these posts on this site and I kept on thinking... You shall know them by their fruits. You know, what are these rotten fruits here that are coming out? Obviously, you can't generalize. You can't say all atheists are rotten fruit because on this site, some of them are saying nasty things. But it seemed to me that what was coming out of this site was not an oasis of clear thinking, but something a little unpleasant, to say the least. And so I decided to leave the site, and I thought about this guy, David Robertson, Day after day, getting up early just to reply, just to defend, to defend himself. Sometimes he would start his post by saying, I've just read all your, read all your criticisms, I think I've lost the will to live. <laughs> but he carried on anyway, he just answered, he just answered. And I wrote to him and I said, David, I want you to know I've finished with this site. I'm sorry, I find you've been really polite, I admire you for what you've done, but I cannot believe. If anybody here has ever been an atheist, you will understand that. You don't try not to believe, you just can't believe. It just doesn't seem logic. I knew all the explanations for belief in God. God as the ultimate alpha figure, the father figure, the need for security. I knew the evolutionary explanations for God. The power, the fact that the brain can attribute agency to things is an evolutionary strategy. And so the brain attributed agency to all kinds of things, the rain, the thunder, etc. I I knew all that. I couldn't believe in God. But I wanted to say, David, you know, you're a nice guy. I appreciate you. Apparently, when he received that, he wasn't sure whether I was sincere or not because he had received a lot of emails from people pretending to be nice to him, just hoping to get a reply back and go running back to their atheist website. Look what I made David Robertson say. And so he just replied back to me and said, thank you for your message. You say that you don't believe in God because you can't believe in God. Two questions. Why don't you believe in God? What could make you believe in God? Okay. I got this email early um, on 
the morning of April the 12th, 2008. It was a Saturday. So what I did was I opened the site and I printed out every page of every post of this discussion trying to look for flaws that I could find in David Robertson's explanations, looking at the accusations of the atheists to see if they were true or not. And I went out and sat out on the balcony uh, overlooking the Pyrenees uh, with my coffee and I went through page after page of this, this discussion. Nothing showed, to me that showed me that there was anything wrong with this guy, apart from obviously a, a clear mental deficiency because he believed in God, you know, but he was nice all the same. And so I went back to this email and I thought, well, I've got, I've got to reply to these questions. And this, now we're at, I'm not joking, we're at 24 minutes past 10 on Saturday morning, the 12th of April, 2008. Question, why don't you believe in God? That's a dumb question. What could make you believe in God? Certainly not logic and proof and reason. I didn't think that answer out at all. That which had been precious to me for years, logic and proof and reason, certainly not. And in that instant, my mind exploded. If, you ever, if you've ever heard the expression of an amazing grace experience, that was it. Why do I know what time it was? Because when that happened to me, I wasn't sure whether I was having a serious psychological breakdown. Just for a second I thought, I need to keep track of this. But it wasn't, it was the most incredible experience which I cannot describe to you, which I cannot share with you. An image which I've used, which has spoken to some people was that I'd seen the universe fairly clearly in black and white and in two dimensions. And all of a sudden, it was in three dimensions and it was in full colour. It just beamed out at me. And words which I must have memorised years beforehand came into my mind and I tremble as I repeat them to you now, from the Bible, the Christian Bible, I don't know if you've read it, we can love because he loved us first. Yes, of course, that's what it's all about. It's all about love. And it's not about my ability to love him. It's because he loved me first, and he gave me freely this love that everything opened up. I promise you my life changed in that instant and talking about it today is as thrilling and as exciting as it was three years ago. I wrote back to him and I said, you know, this has happened to me, to David Robertson. He didn't believe me. <laughs> He said, you know, okay, tell me about it. Um, and, and so I did. And then in my over-enthusiasm, I made the mistake of going back to the Richard Dawkins side. <laughs> and of telling them. And as a result of that, I received the best compliment I think I've ever had in my life. You know, I'm not a very clever bloke. You know, I sort of, I'm reasonably, reasonably obedient. You know, in spite of being handsome, I'm not actually particularly intelligent. And this very, very brilliant science, sci scientist philosopher wrote, Richard, we cannot trust you anymore how you can go to Christianity after a full knowledge of all the philosophical and scientific explanations 
proving that it is false. I thought, wow, I had a full knowledge. (laughs) I thought, I'd I'd, I'd better not tell my ex-wife's lawyer. (laughs) In fact, as time has passed, I realize now that as I listen to atheists speaking and reasoning against religion, I have to say, well, yeah, I know where you're coming from. Not only do I understand what you're saying, but I've said it myself. I understand that perfectly, absolutely. If you want to look down through a microscope into the philosophy books and the science books, that's all right. It's just that God has allowed me to look up and all of a sudden everything changes. Obviously people ask me questions like, well, how do you know it was a Christian God? One guy wrote and said, I think you've had a temporary brain infection. you should get counselling. I wrote back to him a few weeks ago, I said, well, three years on, my temporary brain infarction. Do you know what a brain infarction is? You don't, (laughs) neither do I. There there was an article about me in the Christian Post recently, where somebody wrote it, a a temporary brain infraction. (laughs) But it's not, it's a brain infarction. And I had one, and it's still going strong, and I'm very, very happy that it continues to be, uh, to be moving along. Um, right, what happened to the collapse of the... You know that Richard Dawkins is a very famous guy. He's wrote, written a lot of books and sold a lot of books. His book, the, the God Delusion, was the number one in the New York Times bestseller list for a long time. And he's Richard Dawkins. Please don't get us mixed up. Richard Dawkins, I'm Richard Morgan. I don't want people to confuse us. A short while afterwards, I was introduced to a a Christian radio in London called Premier Community Radio. And they invited me to come on the radio to discuss my experience with David Robertson. It's a show which goes out on a Saturday afternoon called Unbelievable, where they try to confront believers and atheists. So on this show there was um, David Robertson and myself and uh, some atheists they dragged out of the woodwork from somewhere. Um, I, I, just, I just add something to you here. My conversion experience was so dramatic and powerful and unexpected that I said something to the people in the studio which made them laugh, but I was perfectly serious. I said to Justin Briley who runs the show, so you always have an atheist for the debate to record. Yes, yes, yes. And I said, well, isn't that a bit nerve-wracking? What, what are you going to do for your show if the atheist gets converted on the train on his way here? <laughs> you know, I said, you know, do I, have to, do I have to pray so he doesn't get converted yet? But it was a serious concern. You know, how do you know somebody's going to be an atheist you know, at the time you start recording? You know, they've got these soundproof doors which keeps the Holy Spirit out as well. <laughs> no conversions allowed. And all I did, all I did on the show was to talk about my experience and of course my unhappy experience of the Richard Dawkins site. It could have all ended there. That could have been the end of it. But unfortunately, somebody posted on Richard Dawkins site a link to this radio program which turned out later to be the program uh, from Premier Radio Unbelievable, which has been the most downloaded in the history, the, the iPod, the MP3. 
and you can imagine the reaction of the Richard Dawkins fans to my to my to my comments on the radio about the Richard Dawkins site. It became so foul and disgusting. In fact, it even became slanderous. People advised me to take legal action as regards what was being said about me. Uh, I didn't, of course. But it became so disgusting that Richard Dawkins, who was in the middle of promoting his, the, the launch of his new book, the, um, the Greatest Show on Earth, he came online to insult me and to ask the site administrator to close the site down, saying this is the most appalling discussion, not the site, not the site, the discussion, this is the most appalling discussion I've ever seen. This is Richard Dawkins, who had always encouraged his fans to insult Christians. He realized that what was curiously happening was, I said, on his site, they say nasty things. They posted the link to my radio program, and they said nasty things. <laughs> the proof came out in reality. Shortly afterwards, he tried to organize things in such a way that there was some kind of moderation so that that wouldn't happen. There were some problems of communication with the site administrator, Josh. They had to close the site down. And you can imagine all these anonymous God-haters. They were deprived of their, of their space, their favorite space for insulting God. And so all the insults that had been directed against Christians, and then against yours truly, got directed against Richard Dawkins. And it was a really a disastrous moment for him. And I felt sorry for him because it was a tragically painful experience for him. The site is up again now in a, in a rather a different way. I, do, I don't go back there because I think there is a time when you, when you decide that you don't want to get turned into a pillar of assault. And that's very much how I, how I feel like it. I just wanted to say to you that what is just incredible to me and thrilling and exciting that I did nothing to look for this experience that I had on April the 12th. I was not looking for God. I was fairly certain he didn't exist. I knew all the reasons which explained why religion existed, why different religions exist. And as somebody said, I just got ambushed by the love of God. And today, what keeps me going every day is this knowledge that we can love because he loved us first. Speak to any psychologist, they'll tell you that that makes sense. In this life, you cannot give what you haven't received. And nothing is truer than when you say that about love. You can't truly love, I'm sorry to say this to you, you cannot truly love somebody else unless you've received love. Maybe you're fortunate enough in having parents that, who loved you adequately, and I'm very, very happy for you. But your parents were probably human beings and probably imperfect. And that when you have known the unprovable experience of the love of God, my friends, I promise you, that changes everything. I finished. Not me. If you have any, if you have any questions, being as I'm Welsh in origin, the first three questions are completely free. <laughs> I'm, I'm making an effort for you. Thank you very much. Do, do you have any questions? No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Human acceptance, human, yes, human yes. Acceptance. And uh, would you 
say a lot of these atheists on the dock and the site are actually seeking the same type of human acceptance. Not only would I say it, I have said it publicly more than once. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And the ones who seek most attention, if you want to find an attention seeker on one of those sites, just look at the people who accuse other people of being attention seekers. David Robertson got accused of being an attention seeker, and he was. <laughs> he was, but he wasn't seeking attention for himself. I'll let you work out for whom he was seeking the attention. Yeah, it's a, a very, very good point that you make. Yeah. In fact, if I can just elucidate a bit further, I have this weird characteristic, I think it's a genetic uh, anomaly, is that I like people. I really, I really do like you. I'm looking at you now, and in spite of your faces, I really like you. <laughs> you, know, you know, I understand that not everybody can be handsome. I mean. <laughs> handsome, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, I wanted to go further than just exchanges on the on the site. And often, I would, you know, actually messenger chat with people. I'll be, I'll be right with you. And um, I, I even had phone conversation with people. And these people who are the most violent and the vile and the cleverest, the saddest human stories that I heard would break your heart. Absolutely break your heart. One of the most brilliant posters on the side, I spoke to him and he was drunk. He said he had to drink because he couldn't accept his homosexuality. And he was just a broken person and his social life was seeking to be accepted on the Richard Dawkins site, absolutely. It was so tragic. In fact, my human contact thing explains why, why some of them turned so violently against me afterwards. They thought, oh, what have I said to this guy who's now betrayed us all and become a Christian? Of course, they had nothing to worry, worry about. And I never did say anything about anybody. Obviously not. But you're absolutely right. Broken people, seeking acceptance, looking for... L-O-V-E. Aren't we all? Yes? Why do I think that Christians don't... Um, well, I don't know if they don't. My experience has been that atheists and Christians are very, very imperfect human beings. That's been my experience. I think that many Christians have experienced the same kind of love that I have experienced. And logically, inevitably, when you receive God's love so fully, all of a sudden you, you need human acceptance rather less. But it's a very, very, it's a very interesting question. That I don't, I don't have a full answer to it, I'm afraid. Can I come back to you that on, on that in ten years? <laughs> and I've got a bit more experience. And that's right, yes. And of course, can I just add, you know, all this stuff about genes and everything. I mean, I've been involved in genes and everything for, you know, for 25 years. And what Perry doesn't know is I'm going to tell you about a third epiphany experience that I had, and it's all his fault. And it was, in its way... Not, per, not perhaps a life-changing experience, but a perception-changing experience. I was a Christian, I got involved in a Christian community, and uh, my life changed in many significant ways. 
as far as I was concerned, evolution happened. That was perfectly obvious. I had no problems with that. You know, God is God. Science and matter is there. God is supreme, regardless of what we may see or be able to see. In the last analysis, it's all up to God. Until I started reading Perry's blog posts, when he made me realize that I accepted random mutation. Now, that's dangerous. Why is that mentally dangerous? Because it is the atheist's contention that random mutation is responsible for the evolution of life that throws out God. You don't need God. Random mutation does it all. And I'd been unwittingly accepting all that. So I started reading what he's been saying and I suddenly thought, wow. I was practicing my spoken American at that time. I thought, no, wow. <laughs> you know, random isn't in there. You just cannot factor random into it at all. The main argument for throwing out God was just simply not valid. You said it, I agree with you, you cannot prove random. Random doesn't do anything that's good. And um, ever since I've been um, exchanging uh, ideas with Perry, I've been doing researches myself. And just last week, I went to see my sister in Cambridge. She gave me a book by Simon Conway Morris, an evolutionary paleobiologist. That's right, that's what it's called. Uh, which is about conver convergence in life. He's not a Christian, but he's just saying, you know, these things cannot happen by chance. Chance cannot be factored in. What Perry has talked about is not the whole story. There are lots of other phenomena and mechanisms being discovered and revealed which show that really, you know, there is no place for chance in the process of evolution. I know some of you may think, you know, that there is chance when you look at me and think, wow. You mean somebody evolved that guy deliberately? I cannot believe that. <laughs> but that's true. Yes, madam. How would you answer what happened to these Christians? There was a pub in a small town on one corner of the street in the First Presbyterian Church on the other corner. Mm -hmm. And the First Presbyterian Church wasn't doing very well. It's losing members. And to complicate things, Joe's pub on the other corner is really bouncing got people in there every night, ladies of the evening, uh, just doing a booming so, business. Sounds good. Have you got the address? And to the, point, <laughs> to the point where they're disturbing even worship at the First Presbyterian Church. Yeah. The pub's doing so well, they're going to put even an addition on their bar. And the board at the Presbyterian Church says, well, they got together and they prayed that something could stop this sinful place. And by golly, if lightning didn't strike Joe's bar and burn the whole thing, no addition, burned mm -hmm. it all down. So the Presbyterians started writing. We prayed. And the pub burned down. Jesus helped us. So a few weeks later, the board of the Presbyterian Church was served a summons notice that they were being sued for burning down Joe's bar. <laughs> <laughs> And Maybe they did. The board Maybe the they did. Yes. All of a sudden, seeing a big lawsuit, said, we didn't have anything to do with your bar burning down. We didn't have nothing to do with that. You can't sue us. 
So when it came to court and it got on the docket, the judge looked at it and he looked at it and he said, I can't believe my eyes. He said the board at First Presbyterian doesn't believe in the power of Jesus Christ and the owners of Joe's Pub do. That's a nice one. Was that a joke or a question? It's kind of a question. Okay, you're right. Okay, I understand. You want to share the limelight with me, I understand. That's fine. How should the people at Joe's Pub handle that? I'm sorry, I mean at the First Presbyterian Church. Should they have paid the lawsuit? Should they have admitted they prayed? Should they have paid it in behalf of a belief in Jesus Christ? What should they have done? Now they're denying Jesus because he didn't have the power. I'm sorry, I've been a Christian for three years. Okay. You know, and what you're saying is pretty true because when you first got converted, it's like you're a babe in Christ. But when you start living the religion and living to God love me first so I must love others, that's when it becomes hard. That's what Adam and Eve did. I thank you for that encouragement. Right. That's when it's not easy. I know that we all have our own individual experience of our walk with Christ. And I think it's very difficult to generalize. If you want to leave now because you're fed up of listening to me, I do understand. I've been around for long enough. Oh, you have a question for me. How did we develop this relationship? I found that question a bit embarrassing in English. How did we develop this relationship? I love you in a non-sexual way. That's because he's programmed that way. Do you know, I can't remember. It was Todd. Ah, that's right, yes, yes. We are a mutual friend. Yeah, referred me to Perry's site. And I, so I sort of started reading his blog posts. I thought, wow, another crazy American. <laughs> so crazy that, you know, less than a year later I'm here. <laughs> yes, sir? My thought on the bar question, which you were not really, shouldn't have to answer anyway, is that they should ask that the court, that it be appealed to a higher court. I didn't hear him either. It was very funny. <laughs> he was saying that the judge should have told him to appeal to a higher court. Oh, there you go. Now that's the answer. Paul's a clever boy. Yes, madam. This is a less interesting question. Maybe it was very interesting to me. Answer. How is it that you came to live in France and what are you doing there? You're a Welshman. That is the most original approach I've had in two years. <laughs> you know, you can just ask me directly for my phone number if you want. <laughs> That's a Welsh move. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a reasonable question. People often ask me. Unfortunately, I can't answer it because it was a, it's, it's a personal thing. When I settled in France, I became an English teacher in the French educational system. Before going to France, I'd been a music teacher in England and Wales. In France, I became, I did the necessary exams to become an English teacher. And why the Pyrenees? Did you pick the region? 
I'll give you the true answer. I'll give you the true answer. When I arrived in France in 1984, I went to see some friends. I thought, I want to go somewhere else. I phoned up the airport. When's the next... What is the next plane I can book a flight for? And she looked, she said, Toulouse. I said, okay. And I went to Toulouse and I've, uh, and I've been there ever, ever since. And I didn't have to stand in line for two hours to get in. Thank you, Chicago. It's been lovely to be able to speak to you and share with you. I hope you've understood what, most of what I've been able to say. I want to thank you for being very patient and understanding with me. Yes. Yes. Do you, do you have any sense of how long it lasted where you were in kind of in that third dimensional sort of... Um, do you have any sense of, like, time? Or was it something that, like, from that point on, it's sort of been like that? That's right, yes. It was my life up until that, my, that point, and then my life after that point. Really yeah. I mean, I had a sense of the presence of God, which has not left me for one second in over three years. If we believe our friend, it will one day, but I'll wait for that, because <laughs> it does happen to more experienced Christians than myself, as we know. Anybody else? Yeah. Give this guy a hand. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.